Will you please welcome our guest moderator, news editor of Empire magazine and part of the presenting team on BBC's Film 2012, Chris Hewitt. <laughs> Hello everyone, thanks for coming out, especially on a Saturday night, I know X Factor's on. I've got it on tape, don't worry, it's all good. I know who wins. Uh, Beast of the Southern Wild is a dazzling and haunting debut movie by Ben Seidlin uh, about the end of the world as uh, seen through the eyes of a precocious six-year-old called Hush Puppy, and she's played by a newcomer, uh, Quesone uh, Wallace. Now, remember that name, because she's going to be a big, big star. Before we meet Ben and Quesone, let's have a look at the trailer. Depends on everything fitting together just right. If one piece busts, even the smallest piece, the entire universe will get busted. This here is an aurochs, a fierce creature. The star's coming! The star's coming! Y'all better learn how to survive. I'm your daddy. It's just my job to take care of you, okay? And it all goes quiet behind my eyes. I see everything that made me. Flying around in invisible pieces. I see that I'm a little piece of a big, big universe. You're gonna be the key in a bed, Tom. I promise that. In a million years, when kids go to school, they gonna know. Once there was a hush puppy, and she lived with her daddy in the bathtub. Now, please welcome the director of Beast of Southern Wild, Mr. Uh, ben Seidlin, and the star, Confession A. Wallace. How's hey, it? how's it going? How you doing? Hello, hello. <laughs> How are you? <sighs> now, I believe, Confession I'll start with you, because you've been, you've been going around the, uh, the M&M store today, I believe. Is yes. this true? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Loading up in goodies? Yeah. <laughs> Fueled by sugar. I thought so. <laughs> I thought so. So how's your London experience been? Have you been able to get around and do the tourist sites or has it been very yes, much? Yes, the first day, like whenever we first got here, uh -huh. we saw the Big Ben, the London Eye and the Queen's Castle. Very good. Not bad. Ben, what have you seen? Um, basically the inside of my hotel room and uh, <laughs> <laughs> a couple different movie theaters. Yeah, but yeah. it's a beautiful hotel room, right? It's a lovely hotel room. It's yeah, very, it's very great. nice. Okay. <laughs> so uh, let's, let's start with you. Um, what is Beasts of the Southern Wild, for people who don't know, and what are the Beasts of the Southern Wild? Um, well, uh, Beasts of the Southern Wild is this movie about uh, a little girl named Hush Puppy who lives with her dad um, in a town that's been kind of cut off from the world by a giant water protection system, and it's about a series of... Um, mythological environmental catastrophes that happen in this town and they have to kind of learn how to survive and um, 
the beasts of the southern wild are can mean a lot of different things. Um, but uh, you <laughs> yeah. know, the the movie does involve um, fifteen foot uh, ancient um, sort of uh, creatures that come that defrost out of the ice caps and come charging towards uh, the bathtub, which is the name of her town. Indeed, and uh, this is a film that's populated entirely with non-actors, first-time actors. Can you talk about that, that decision to go with that, first of all? Yeah, I mean, it was never, it was never kind of a dogmatic thing that we yeah. were going to cast entirely that way, but we really wanted to, um, you know, the, ca- the, the, the film has a spirit that's very kind of unique to South Louisiana, and uh, so we always wanted to cast as much of the film locally as we possibly could, and so we did this massive casting search. We looked at 4,000 different kids trying to find... Um, this one who played Hush Puppy, <laughs> and um, then and and sort of as part of that, um, we ended up sort of finding so much talent around us that um, you know even though we looked at professional actors for a lot of the roles, we ended up giving all the roles to um, people that were local and who had never done it before. Indeed, and Quentin, uh, you haven't acted at all, no, at any point in your life before this movie, no. So how did it come about? Uh, it was an audition at the library and. We just went in like the second audition because he wasn't there, so they called back and they said that they would choose like they got like the people and they called and back oh. and it just kept going after and after. And my mom was like, "Man, my phone been blowing up this <laughs> time," so it's kind of like a big chance. Yeah, they kept calling back and. We would be like, they're not going to call back. And then they call back. They're not going to call back. They call back, so it's something different. And you were, you were five years old when you auditioned? Yes. It seems like a lifetime ago, I guess. But who, who saw, the, uh, who saw the, the sign for the audition in the first place? Was it you, your, your mom? Who no, was it was my mom's uh-huh. friend. Your mom's friend, okay. And she thought... In a deli, right? Where was it? We don't know. Yeah, it was, we, it we was were, somewhere. It was somewhere. We were flyering and basically... We almost... A lot of the people who did our casting operation had come off of working on a political campaign and it was it was sort of like a get out the vote type uh that was the same mentality they used so we were flying knocking on doors passing out flyers and churches and schools and you know restaurants and that's kind of we did that all over the state and Mm -hmm. she she thank god uh was found uh through that and did you know the minute she walked in the minute she she auditioned um, I think I was probably in shock for a little while. I, you know, uh, you know, it, it takes. You know, I mean, when you sort of design an entire film and you kind of are staking your life on it, um, you know, and you're you're going around telling people that you're gonna have a lead actor that's six years old, um, you know, there's some fear involved in that kind of a choice, uh, and you know, so it took a little bit to uh, to sink in. But but I mean, from the moment she came in. Uh, there was we'd never seen anybody even remotely like that. I mean, it was uh-huh. this totally crazy audition that was so far beyond anything we'd ever seen before. So the first time I saw her, it was this kind of, uh, you know, a prodigy sits down at the piano when they're five years old and suddenly <laughs> starts playing. You know, it was that kind of a... Is that kind of an experience? Okay. And what was that experience like for you, this, this audition? Because I believe you had to throw something at someone. Yes, I had to throw a teddy bear at one of the producers, and I wouldn't do it. So I would if, and I would if, and I wouldn't really throw it that much, but okay. I... She actually, she actually refused to throw the teddy bear at him, <laughs> which was which I which I was so impressed by. You know, to walk into an audition when you're five year old, years old, and yeah. I'm a total stranger, and I'm telling her to throw this teddy bear at the producer, and she basically was just like, no, 
I won't do it. <laughs> I would do it now, but. <laughs> yeah, well, she she had a moral thing where she where she said you're not supposed to throw things at people you don't know. Yes, this is not right, you know. Uh, and I was really impressed by her kind of just sense of self and defiance and yeah. morality and the fact that the way she was being defiant was not in a mean way. It was in an incredibly sweet way. She was like, "This is not the nice thing to do," and that really had a lot to do with what who that character was. And so, yeah. um, you know, um, that that was an important defining thing that kind of made us think this. This is the character who just walked into the room here. You okay. Know? C- c- what can you tell us about Hush Puppy? What, what sort of character is she? You want to talk about it? Do you want to start up? I don't know. <laughs> I just played her. You're the one um, that directed All right. I'll, I'll go on this one. Uh, yeah, she, I mean, she's this very uh, self-sufficient, you know, she lives with her father and he, um, her father is sick and he's sort of preparing her for life without him because her mother's not around and so, you know, she has this, her own universe kind of off the grid in the woods and she kind of relates to animals, all their friends yep. are the animals on the compound and she, you know, um, is sort of on a, she's trying to understand her world as it's falling apart. Her father's getting sick and the, the land that her town is on is sinking into the ocean and she's uh, kind of trying to understand um, how to survive and how to, you know, keep all these things that are slipping away from her um, intact and, and she's this, becomes this sort of ferocious uh, warrior, little warrior, um, over the course of the film. And Quifengine, uh, I mean, I've seen the film, and I know that Hush Puppy is very, very different from from you. I mean, how difficult was it for you to to become her, to 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 act as Hush Puppy? Uh, very hard because she's a kind of like m- messy person with the mud. Uh, <laughs> I'm not that, as you can see. Uh, <laughs> I'm not actually as her, but. I can kind of get related, uh-huh. but she kind of have to fix some things. She's very fierce. Yeah. You know, she she flexes her muscles quite a lot and grimaces and growls quite a bit. I'm not like that. Not like at all. I don't know about that. <laughs> You're pretty fierce. Well, I am, but <laughs> not that kind of way. Not that kind of fierce. Yeah, she has a different. Yeah, they're very different people, but you know, a lot of things about the character were inspired by. Mm-hmm. Quivenjane. I mean, she she yeah. did just sort of come in, and it's that sort of self-possessed defiance and sort of fearlessness that that she has uh, that that we sort of fed into the character a lot. Okay, you must have seen a lot of bad auditions. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, of course, you know. Um, but it's interesting, you know, we're not doing auditions the way that they're traditionally done, where you give someone a script and yeah. you know, our audition basically said come in with a story, and so oh, even really? when you have a lot of people that even people who come in who really can't act, you know, oftentimes tell you something, tell you an amazing story. And a lot of the stories that, that, um, that are, that infi- inspired the film actually came from people that came in for auditions and oh, really? we didn't cast in the film, but, uh-huh. um, just had something amazing to say. And so auditions are, you know, uh, and, and, and also a lot of our crew came from auditions as well. You know, everywhere <laughs> we go, we shot the film way off in South Louisiana, like way down at the bottom of the map. And right. basically everyone we would meet, we would come, we would hand them a flyer and a lot of people who ended up being part of the crew um, from South Louisiana and, and being our wilderness guides and sort of teaching us how to survive uh, in the area were people that we met right. in audition. So, uh, you know, they're, they're amazingly rewarding even when someone comes in and completely can't act. That's phenomenal. Uh, before we, uh, we meet Hush Puppy in a clip, I've got to ask Quifenge and I, I mean, it, did you go into your first audition? What story did you have? What story did you tell? Oh, uh, it really wasn't a story because 
uh, Ben wasn't there. They just okay. had the director and another guy. And they just did like a few things. Not really okay. that important. So you got off the hook. Well, she d you did tell well. a story, actually. You told a story about your dog and how, how he was always running away. Oh, I, I didn't know because I've seen the video. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, you're talking about your dog that ran away, and it was, that was that was your first story. Oh, I know which one. <laughs> okay. That might be on the DVD. Who knows? But then, yes, yeah. let's make Hush Puppy now. We've got a, we've got a clip. Uh, ben, I don't know if you want to talk about it. Oh, see, seeing where Hush Puppy hides the medicine jar. Oh yeah. This, so this is this is at the point of the film. Um, where kind of a series of events that Hush Puppy doesn't understand are happening. Her father is kind of collapsed and she doesn't know why and she's hearing these um, giant sounds in the distance and she doesn't know why and this is sort of a moment where she's um, trying to trying to interpret and understand um, you know, what she sees as the collapse of, uh, of her universe. Fantastic. That's a roller clip. Thank you. Depends on everything fitting together just right. If one piece busts, even the smallest piece, the entire universe will get busted. And that was a, a glimpse at one of the, uh, the beasts uh, yeah. hidden, in, hidden in ice. Yeah. Um, and it, it's a very environmentally conscious film. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, this, the film is really inspired by a place where it's the fastest shrinking landmass on Earth um, in, in South Louisiana. And, and um, you know, um, you really feel the presence. I mean, you talk to people who... Um, you know, grew up, uh, you know, fishing in their, you know, in the, in the swamps, hunting and trapping in, in their, on their property, living in yeah. places in the trees, met their wives, you know, in the swamp, <laughs> and, and, that, and that swamp is now just water. Right. You know, and so in, in people's lifetime, this, um, the environment is completely changing and completely changing their way of life. And so, you know, um, the subject of the film is really about uh, a town that is trying to hold on and, and refusing to leave and, and trying to survive, um, uh, you know, against, against the forces of nature. Mm. Uh, was it inspired particularly by the events of Hurricane Katrina and what happened to New Orleans? Because there seem to be parallels within the movie. It's yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly one of the elements. You know, yeah. it's kind of, you know, uh, when you know when you're there, it's like the there's so many different things. It's like there's the hurricanes and they're getting more and more frequent in the last. You know, since Katrina, basically, there's been you know Rita, Gustav, Ike, and Isaac all uh, in the last six years. Um, but then you also have, you know, uh, the salt water coming in through these oil pipelines that's eroding the land, that's killing the trees, that's changing the agriculture, yeah. killing the fish. The oil spill happened on the first day of our shoot, the BP oil spill. Oh, that was, you know, uh, the oil got within five miles of the town we were in. So oh, really? 
I don't want to sort of make it about one specific thing. You know, it almost feels like it's the seven plagues or something. It's just like everything is kind of converging at once. And, and um, so I never wanted to tie it to a, a specific environmental catastrophe because it, it's just way more broad and complex, um, all the issues that are going on with the environment down there. And the, the idea of the, the beasts themselves, the, the, uh, the aurochs, where, where do they come from? Where did that idea come from? Um, you know, they, they, come from, uh, they come from a lesson that Hush Puppy learns about the cave paintings. Um, and, the, and the teacher kind of teaches them, you know, once upon a time, the first men survived against these giant creatures and they stood their ground and kind of staked our claim on Earth. And Hush Puppy sort of sees herself as a descendant of those cavemen. And she sort of yeah. understands that, uh, you know, she's this person who's on the verge of extinction in a world that's on the verge of extinction and she's thinking about you know what she's going to have to do to survive like they did and so she kind of uh you know uh her myth to her is is a is a sort of fight for survival against yeah. these larger animals and uh conventionally i mean there's, there's uh there's several sequences in the film where hush puppy is painting on walls and cardboard boxes and anything she can find did you do those paintings Yes, uh, <laughs> like the first day or two, they actually had the box <coughs> set up, and me and my brother went in it, and she, he was like, paint over there, paint over here, paint up there. So we were just playing in it and scribbling in it, and then they had the real box. And okay. Oh, and Z, she was one of the people who were like with the drawings and like one of the bins, but she <laughs> would draw. Okay, okay, oh, I got you. And did you learn anything else for this film? Did you? I, I think, for example, you learned you learned to swim, didn't you? Yes, and I actually learned how to peel the crawfish and oh, really? Okay. Peel the crabs and shrimp. So uh -huh. that's okay. how I know how to do all that shrimp stuff now. <laughs> <laughs> so if I handed you a crab right now, you could you could peel the crab. Oh yeah, that's a pretty useful skill to have, I have to say. <laughs> um, and Ben, the um, the aurochs themselves, I mean, I'm really taken by them. There's a there's an amazing credit on the on the film at the very very end, uh, aurochs wranglers, which I loved. And then you because they're they're played by if you yeah. get Vietnamese <laughs> potbelly pigs or yeah yeah those are our you know one of the one of the least credited sets of actors in the film are five <laughs> um, baby Vietnamese potbelly pigs. Um, you know, um, we really wanted to create special effects in a way that was organic, in a way that, you know, the bathtub is this place, um, it's about the opposite of the store, actually. There's no technology <laughs> whatsoever, um, you know, and we, and we felt like if we were to create um, special effects that were made with a computer or made with CGI, that it wouldn't feel organic to the film. And so we thought about, you know, how would Hush Puppy make these monsters if she had to make this movie? And so... You know, she owns a lot of animals, and we th and so I told the guys, you know, let's make these creatures out of real animals and find a way to do it. However we can do it, let's do it. And so it, what they discovered was um, they could train. We basically got five B Vietnamese uh, baby pot-bellied pigs um, when they were two weeks old, fed them on bottles, you know, put them in costumes five minutes at a time, then ten minutes at a time, and uh, got them used to it, and then um, trained them to do all these skills. And so basically... Uh, we had to write, rewrite the whole Aurochs part of the movie around the six things that we were able to teach the pot belly pigs to do, which were run, stop, turn around, sit down, eat, and run on a treadmill. So, you know, those were their <laughs> skills, and uh, we basically sort of turned those into uh, the, the, the monster part of the movie.
those are coincidentally the six things I can do as well. Yeah, they're good learners. One of them's called Hannah Montana. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I noticed that in the credits as well. Yeah, Hannah was, Montana, Mona, Oliver, Bo Biden, and Jay Will were our, were our <laughs> pigs, and, and I do miss them. Hannah Montana. Hannah Montana. Hannah Montana. She, she was not a very good actor. <laughs> <laughs> did you know? Did you know from ATN the pop belly pigs? We saw some. They were uh, like on the side on leashes and like they were walking around. They okay. kind of looked like the big one, but okay, but smaller. Cute. Smaller. Yeah, they were adorable. Take them home. Okay. Yeah. And and you shot. Your 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 aesthetic is to shoot, for real or as real as you can possibly get by moving to the location upon location upon location, building sets there and living essentially on set, is that, is that right? Or Yeah, for, I mean, you know, a lot of the people that create the art in the films have like a very immersionist approach. You know, they're, yeah. uh, you know, probably the best example is my sister who, um, who built uh, the sort of shack tree house that Wink lives in in the film and it basically... She just went to kind of live his story as if she was him showing up on the land for the first time. She went back into the woods, found this school bus that was grow that had trees, like old trees growing through it, mm-hmm. um, scavenged in the woods, found all parts that were already in the woods, built a house out of it, moved into it, and lived there for <laughs> you know four or five months until uh, that house gets destroyed in the movie, and she actually had to dismantle her own home right. and rebuild it in a swamp, and then dismantle her swamp home and rebuild it uh, in this you know kind of wasteland and so you know people really you know we really try to live the experience of the movie and people do that in a very kind of extreme way which Mm. i think adds something to you know it's not like a movie set where you can just pull a wall away and stick a light there you know you're actually dealing with a a physical house that exists because um hush puppy and her dad wink live in a very very rickety boat type house slash house rather i should say uh what was that set like was it because it seems quite Dangerous, uh, like it could fall apart at any second. <laughs> so that kind of weird and <laughs> weird to actually see that happen. Like uh-huh. he makes some stuff that you'll never think that can really happen, mm-hmm. but this guy right here makes everything possible. <laughs> <laughs> Including the bathtub. I mean, how much did, did did you have to augment the bathtub at any time? Because there's some amazing shots of this watery landscape completely submerged in water. Was that and it was any of that CG or? Um, no, um, you know that was. It, it's an amazing thing. I mean, this is sort of why I thought we could put because we had a very small budget for the film, and you know you're making a film kind of about the end of the world, and you know the budget to kind of have a comet come and explode. You know, it's yeah. it's not. You have to kind of, We had to kind of find our apocalypse in nature, and and yeah. the thing about the apocalyptic things happening in the movies that they're all happening in real life. There are these towns that have been flooded that you know, are still have water in them. There's places where the trees are all dying and all that stuff is real. And so what we figured out is that if we just took our sets and essentially moved them south town by town, mm-hmm. as you get closer to where the salt is coming in and closer to where the storms land, uh, you sort of sense the actual progression of the way that these towns are getting destroyed. And so, you know, we basically just took the facades of our sets, took our actual sets and rebuilt them uh, in a place where the water is risen, you know, above where um, there used to be houses on the ground. Oh, my God. I think we can see a very good example of that now in our second clip, which is the uh, building the new camp. So uh-huh. I don't know if you want to set this up as well. Yeah, uh, this is um, this is kind of after the whole town. There's a, you know, the, the town floods, and then there's um, 
uh, a section of the film where they're basically taking everything that they still have, everything that survived the storm, every boat that didn't sink, and they're they're rebuilding um, a a new place for themselves to survive on top of the water until the the flood recedes. Fantastic. Let's take a look at the clip. Thank you. Ben, you, uh, you co-wrote the score. Yeah. Uh, was that, is that something you like to do, is it get involved? Because I can think of some you know, fantastic film directors who have written their own scores over the years. John Carpenter, for example. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I know it's a really, it's kind of my favorite part of the process. Um, I sort of come from music in a way. You know, I, I was in a band in high school and I was writing songs for, you know, shows in college. And, uh, you know, it definitely, a lot, of, a lot of where the film comes from and a lot of the, um, you know, the feeling of the movie, the, the music is really a main character in the film. It's not like a background shading. Yeah. It's kind of a forefront element that uh, defines a lot of things. And so for me, it's always kind of a part of the creation process is, uh, is writing the score. Fantastic. Um, I'll throw it up to you guys now, see if you have any questions at all for Ben or Kofenjane. If you have anything at all you want to ask, just put your hands up. Um, we'll, uh, we'll try and get a microphone around to you. Yes, please. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> at what point were, did you feel comfortable with your performance um, and, and, and how did that manifest itself? Was it, did the director say to you at certain points your performance was pretty good or? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how I would answer that. We didn't do a lot of like, I mean, there were a couple like, we didn't do a lot of self-analysis, you know, that was sort of part of it. We weren't watching, I, I you know, I never let the actors watch the dailies or, or look at their work and kind of analyze it. You know, I didn't want um, us to overthink what was happening because we were trying to get a very kind of natural sort of emotion onto the screen. And I didn't want that to be something that we were thinking, oh, that was a good, you just did a good scene or you just did a bad scene. It, it wasn't about that. It was like just much more about staying focused on the story and in the emotion and, and not trying to pick apart too much what she was doing. I wanted to let her inhabit scenes very naturally. And, and even though she was acting and not playing herself at all, you know, um, it was important not to overthink what we were doing. So we didn't do a whole lot of patting ourselves on the back or, or anything like that. But uh, I mean, I think that the whole time from the very beginning, I mean, I mean, I remember the first time I told her, you know, we've seen 4,000 girls and you're a hush puppy. Uh, you get really excited, but then she's sort of like, "All right, cool." Like, and she takes it in stride. So she's amazingly unfazed by, 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 by everything that was happening, and she really just stayed focused and stayed in the moment. I would say, is that right? Guess. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, any other questions at all? Yes, there's a lady here. Thank you. Um, congratulations. I have, 
actually haven't seen the film yet, so I'm in love with the soundtrack, which Spotify tells me I've listened to it over 500 times. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, yeah. so my question's for you, Ben. Was there any particular reason you chose to, um, to use the French Arcadian songs? Because all the tracks that are vocals are all um, the Balfour Brothers and mm -hmm. the Lost Bayou Ramblers, who mm -hmm. I love now. Yeah, yes. that's awesome. That's really cool to hear. Um, yeah, um, we definitely wanted the, f the music to emerge from you know, the music of South Louisiana and Cajun music in particular is the, you know, that's, you know, the French Acadian music is, is what comes from the region where we shot the film. Um, and, um, you know, I felt like it had a, uh, you know, it, it had, the, it reflected the bathtub in a really great way. It's like very forceful and very beautiful and also very rickety and very sloppy. Um, and, and so we definitely tried to kind of take um, a lot of the, the rhythms of that music, a lot of the chord structures and, and instrumentation and kind of create a, a film score that could sit alongside um, Cajun music. And, and in a couple of the songs, we actually, you know, the one we do with the, with the Lost Bayou Ramblers, we actually took a piece of music um, that, uh, that, that they do and, and mix it together with our film score and sort of reorchestrate you know, some of the Cajun music to the chords that represent Hush Puppy in the movie. So we were really interested in sort of taking a basis in, in the traditional music and then trying to find a way to kind of expand it into something that felt like it wasn't just folk music, but it was this kind of cosmic music that that's it's kind of like Hush Puppy always looking into the universe and looking into something um, kind of mysterious and magical. And so we tried to mix those two things together wherever we could. That makes sense, actually. We can stop. I think we've got time for a couple of last questions. Yeah, this gentleman right here. Thank you. How long did it take to um, shoot? Because you mentioned that you started shooting when the oil spill came, and that was, that was quite some time ago. So yeah. <laughs> um, so can you tell me, I don't know if it was about kind of like the length of process from the inception of the idea to the actual finished product. All told, I think I've been working on the film for about four years or so now, which is wild. Uh, you know, um, it, it took about a year and a half to write the script. It took about eight weeks to shoot the film. And then it took about two years of post-production to complete it. So, uh, you know, I mean, that's one of the things when you work with no money, you move really slowly because, um, you know, you're not hiring giant teams to do everything. You're really going from going from the edit and then you finish the edit, you move on to the music, you finish the music, you move on to the sound. And so, you know, it was very few people um, once we got into post-production kind of pushing this thing into existence. So, uh, yeah, about, you know, half of her life was the, <laughs> was the uh, time it took to make Beast of the Southern Wild. It's all gone. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things as well about uh, a movie of a certain budget, uh, and I noticed this, I don't think I've ever seen a film with as many people in the special thanks category yeah. as Beast of Southern Wild. Uh, yeah. Can you talk about that? I mean, that's, it's a lot of names. Yeah, end. I mean, it was a massive... You know, we try to make films, they're not like... It's not like a job or like a career or like a traditional film set at all. It's really like a family. And that family included, I mean, almost the entire town, you know, where we shot at some point appeared in the movie whenever we would, uh, you know, when we have a party scene, we weren't going out and, you know, hiring extras. We were actually just throwing a humongous party and inviting the entire town to show up. And, uh, you know, um, and people were lending us their boats you know we were sleeping we didn't stay in hotels we were staying i stayed in a trailer behind um, my good friend's house down there people were sleeping in people's fishing camps and in their bunk beds and you know the amount of um you know the, the generosity of the place was what allowed this film to come into existence and 
you know, and, uh, yeah, I mean, they fed us, they housed, it, it was like, it was like being taken in by, uh, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know how to describe it, but, um, yeah. you know, there was hundreds and hundreds of people who, who did something to make this happen. That's amazing. And, and, and again, going back to the idea of using non-actors like Revengele and uh, Dwight Henry, who plays uh, Hush Puppy's dad, uh, he's amazing. And he was a guy who worked in a, in a bakery, essentially? Well he, well, he owns the bakery. He owns the bakery. Yeah, he he was, but he also makes all the donuts himself, uh -huh. um, which is actually how we found him, because um, we had an office in New Orleans, uh, and across the street, and the office in New Orleans is where we were looking at 4,000 kids for this role. And every morning, we would start off by going to Henry's Bakery. Uh, and, uh, you know, Dwight Henry, uh, you know, is Mr. Henry. And so we got to know him basically um, by falling in love with his donuts first and then <laughs> uh, hearing his stories and, and um, feeling like, you know, um, he had this relationship with the story, with the themes of the story and the character. And he also had this incredible talent and... Uh, you know, so um, yeah, he ended up playing. He ended up playing the father. And are there any plans then to continue acting, both for for him and yourself? You're gonna carry on. Yes, and I hope I can carry on with this <laughs> guy here. Yep, Ben, get writing. <laughs> you starting up soon? You're gonna have a new project on the go. Yeah. <laughs> no pressure. No. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. No, I am. I mean, I'm. Uh, I've been promoting the film so immersively that uh, yes. I'm, I'm a little behind on getting started on the new script but um you yeah. know we're we're going to be shooting in in south louisiana again and uh it's gonna be made largely with the same team and we really want to kind of you know this movie was made in this very <laughs> kind of specific uh you know outsider way and we want to continue that approach and and mm -hmm. uh just keep on making films in this kind of spirit and i have to ask you about the uh the o word oscars because this movie has been tipped as a contender for the oscars and um i know that there's been a couple of problems because you use non-actors with the Screen Actors Guild, um, which uh -huh. means that you know Dwight and Quaventure may not be eligible for for acting Oscars. Is that? No, that's not what, true. They're only true? ineligible for the Screen, screen Acting actors, Guild's yeah. awards. Okay. So like they have the SAG has their own awards. Of course, yes, yes, yes. Um, and you know because you know they were doing it for the first time, they weren't in the union, and so they're not eligible for the SAG awards. But that's not a requirement for the, that's not for the Oscars okay. or anything like so that. So what, what are your what are your thoughts on on that? Is that something <laughs> that you allowed to, to put your thoughts? <laughs> no, you don't. You know, I don't know. You don't want to. I don't know. Count your chickens or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's you. We're, I mean, we're just so thrilled to be part of that conversation in, you know, I mean, the movie, like I said, was just made completely outside the industry, completely off the grid, and to be kind of recognized along with films and by the industry, I think is, you know, we feel really honored and special about that, and, uh, you know, um, even to be having it being talked about just means that more people will get to see the film, and um, that's really what, you know, our goal is, so, you know, okay. we're, we're, we're excited. Excellent. And, uh, conventionally... How do you feel about the Oscars? Uh, I really don't think about that that much. I really don't even think <laughs> about that. Don't let it happen. Yeah, yeah, we'll see what happens. We had to teach her what an Oscar was a couple of weeks ago. So, <laughs> you know. It's a good thing, trust me. If it happens, it's a good thing. Okay, well, thanks very much, uh, guys. Uh, Beasts on the Wild is out on October 19th. Uh, do go and see it. Thanks for coming. Thanks for your questions. Thanks, most of all, uh, to Ben Seitlin and Quifengine Wallace. Thank you.